Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along Show. Hello, and welcome to episode 125. Thanks to a wonderful suggestion from Superfan Jake, we're going in a new cadence this week. So, we're supposed to talk about new shit we probably hate first, according to Jake, but... <laughs> but, no, no, hear me out. There's not new shit this time of year. There's a little bit. Okay. There's a small amount of new shit. Okay, let's dive into that, and then let's, let's speed run that, and then I want to speed run something out. Okay. Uh, I don't want to start with that. We're going to start with the We The People Swamp Master, which is a full suspension BMX bike. And it's not the rear suspension part about this that worries me. It's the fact that they have a kid's 20-inch fork. I mean, it's a Manitou fork. It's a, a quote-unquote real fork on this bike with an adult weight-tuned damper is the change that they made. That doesn't seem safe. No, because they started with an adult fork and they chopped it down to a kid's fork. And then they just put an adult damper in it. So a couple things. There have been like there have been a couple there's been a couple of attempts at full suspension BMX bikes, right? We talked about this a couple years ago because I saw one in a video and we talked about it. It was this This one. Oh, it was and it was a prototype at the time or something. Yeah, so it's production now. Okay. There's a pro that's been ripping the ever loving shit out of one of these for years. Okay. And they're finally bringing them into production. And they're fine. You know, because okay, like, well, they, you know, when I thought, like, I saw that and I'm like, that's a kid's. Yeah, fork. but Manitou didn't make a kid's. I think fork. it's they a reasonable. A I think Andrea has a reason. She is reasonably apprehensive because BMX bikes are the way they are because you can do roof drops and land squarely on the fork and smash your face into the ground. And somehow both you and the bike are so sort of okay. And usually the bike's okay. Yeah. That just looks like what what would be the weak link here, but I'm also not an engineer. Like I don't know what the weak link in a uh, in the rear suspension linkage would be also. But if some person's been going and like absolutely ripping the shit out of it and smashing it around and it obviously hasn't broken yet. It looks well, crazy. It hasn't broken bad enough to kill that person. It looks crazy with the knobbies. I don't really understand that piece. Well I think it's because when you start looking at 20 by 2.6 inch tires that's what you get no let me back up a step we the people is an established bmx brand so they're not just like some new pop-up stuff um yeah they make some other brands too and then as far as the suspension the suspension is a lot like the i think it's the lens milk money or lunch money i can't remember but the milkman the lower pivot is concentric to the or yeah, concentric to the bottom bracket, so it doesn't need any tensioner. So yeah, it is yeah, a tensionable, was... single-speed, full-suspension bike, because the lower main pivot and the bottom bracket are the same axle. God, you can still buy that bike, I think. You definitely can. Wow. And then, still, it looks like it's from 2006. And then when we go into the suspension, uh, click back over to that for me, please. It is... It, it's not even a link-driven single-pivot bike. The There is no link. The seat stay bolts to the lower shock eyelet. I mean, the shock's inverted, but it, or it's running in line with the top two. But there's not even a link there. So I'm somewhat less concerned, because it's a reputable brand, that suspension design around a tensionable single-speed. And it's not a ton of moving parts. Well, yep, it's proven, and that's what I was going to say next. They didn't engineer a ton of parts. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the last thing is the going to the knobbies. Um, I think it's because the person that rides this might occasionally do some like park days on it. You know, it it's not inconceivable. So All right. Looks kinda cool. That uh company, where did it go? Um uh, they also Oh, so it's part of a brand called We Make Things, which they also have another BMX and Dirt Jump brand. Uh, Radio, which is found distributed by QVP, Eclat, they make a bunch of cool hubs and stuff. They make bomb track mountain bikes. And then Sato, I haven't heard of them. Um, I haven't I was... heard of them. I've heard of bomb track, though. I know some people have those for a... Tour Divide. Yeah. But I figured I'd hop in because I didn't think you were going to know how to pronounce Eclat. No, probably not. <laughs> but I'm I would have just said kid. they also have a company that makes BMX components. <laughs> but, all and... right. Well, I mean, that, that makes sense. The way you ex- explained that fork, because that was the only thing I was worried about is like you're taking a fork made for kids and the only thing you're changing about it is the damper. But the way you explain it, that it's a, f- a normal fork with just short lowers that 
that makes more sense. Well, and let me throw one other thing in there. When we think about downhill, we think about a Fox 40. And when we think about Enduro, we think about like a 38, whether it be a Zeb or, you know, the 38 series from Fox. But one thing to keep in mind with this is, and I haven't seen a front travel number. I saw the rear was 66. I bet the front's just 100. I yeah. think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's 100 in the front. So not only is it just 100 mil travel, but it's a hundred mil travel with an extremely short axle to crown because it only has to clear a twenty six by two tire. So two point six. Or yeah, twenty by two point six tire. Yeah. So there's not gonna be as much axle to crown length to give you the opportunity for flexion. So I'm not super concerned about it. But for real last thing to say about this, Kenny does have a great point. Uh, my epic Evo with dropper post, decent tires, beat boops, tube brakes, all that shit weighs 25 pounds and like three ounces with a cush core in the rear. My BMX bike with one brake weighs 26 pounds. So yeah, they're definitely built ultra burly so you can just throw them off of a roof and not think twice about it. I didn't see a weight on this, but I'm guessing it's... Uh... That was on purpose. <laughs> I'm guessing it's around 30. I bet it's more. All right. Because that crank set weighs a million pounds. <laughs> and those handlebars are really heavy. All right. Well, it's built BMX tough, it sounds like. Uh, another interesting thing, if we're finished with the BMX bike. Sure. Industry 9 now has an online store for European consumers. I know that doesn't really concern the three of us, but I know that we have some listeners in Europe because I can look at our stats and say, hey, look at all of these people who don't live in the United States who listen to us or whatever, North and South America. We've never had a listener from Antarctica, as far as I know. Okay. Never seen that. But And last thing, there is a new, it's a slow news week, by the way. Most of the bike, it's December 27th. We forgot to tell y'all Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry whatever holiday you celebrate. But we can say Happy New Year because this is going to post on New Year's Day. Thanks, Troy, for bringing that to my attention. <laughs> there is a company called Galaxy. They have a rooftop tent. It's an aluminum hard shell rooftop tent. Um, it's a little heavier than some of the similar things out there, but it is $1,200, which is um, much less than, say, like the, I think the Yakima is the one that they referenced in this uh, in this article I'm looking at, which is like $4,000. But it actually looks pretty cool. It has LED lights inside. It folds down relatively small. Um, this person said that their gas mileage was better with this than with... Ones that were lighter but larger, so... Surprise. Yeah. Yeah, it looks... Actually, it looks pretty cool. Like, that's definitely one thing for a roof... I, I'm not really into the rooftop thing because I always have to get up at night to pee, and that's just a huge, like... And also, I only... Am I gonna... I'm gonna use it, like, four times a year, so I just have a big tent for the back of my truck and uh <clears throat> but if you're a rooftop tent person if you're rooftop curious uh this one's twelve hundred dollars and shipping anywhere in the contig contiguous u.s is three hundred dollars and it arrives by freight you know your delivery driver is going to come and dump it in your driveway but looks cool it looks roomy it's got nice little features like the lights and like a little storage cubby up in the roof so, like, when you're in there, you can tuck stuff up in it. Uh, this person kept their sleeping bags and pillows inside of it and carried it around that way. So, free up some space inside of your vehicle as well. Kenny, you ever think about a rooftop tent for the Ridgey? Will it fit one? No, because if I put anything over the roof of my pickup truck, it's worthless for its purpose. I'm always very I think surprised was talking about by mounting that. one to the cab, which isn't possible. Yeah, that's need to build I, I thought one your, of those. your cab's too short. For, that's why I was wondering is if the cab on the ridge line's too short for this. Yeah, every two door truck is. I mean, that's a two door truck with. I mean, it's well, a the, Jeep. The ridge, so yeah. the ridge line is a four door. It's actually got a very long roof. Sorry, that's what I was wondering because it's. I'm not very smart today. I'm less smart than usual today. <laughs> and I was looking at a picture, and there's two doors on that one side, and I called it a two door. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Matt, Matt's caught ADHD from me. <laughs> All right, but I thought it was kind of cool. It's but no, I I really don't. <sighs> yeah, I. I don't want to drive around all the time with that thing on there. It's gonna get ruined. The sun right. destroys it. Um, it's going to wreck gas mileage. That's already terrible on that car. 
They're insanely expensive. I've never seen anyone who after a couple of years isn't fully broken. And then it also takes up other room as well. Like it's going to hang over the back a little bit or something. So no is the answer. I've not thought about doing one of those. It's just uh, if my entire life was overlanding and that was it and I had like no job and the company <laughs> was paying me money to use that product, then yeah, I'd probably use one. But if you're very occasionally going to use it and spend your hard-earned money, thousands of dollars for one of those, the other things you could do, like you could do, you could fund like a humongous trip and do lots of other cool things for the price of one of those. It's just, they seem a little silly. I think people are looking for excuses to bolt a bunch of shit to their car so that other people that don't know them think they're cooler than they actually are. I can't wait till I have my Land Rover finished. <laughs> well, you know, I think it makes sense if you have a vehicle that is dead, if that is your thing. So, like, our thing is bikes or, like, for me, for hunting or whatever your thing is. If your thing is driving your your purpose-built vehicle to go multiple nights out or just a lot of overnights, whatever. I think it makes sense, but I think on just your daily driver, like, you know, I've, I've said this about the Forerunner. Uh, it does 90% of the time, I'm just driving it around on the road. The other 10% of the time, I'm driving it someplace off-road. So I'm not going to do a bunch of shit to it to make it really, really good at off-road at the expense of the other 90% of the time that I use it. You know, it's like if 90% of your riding is cross-country riding and then you hit the park once a year, you don't buy a downhill bike. You just ride your regular bike or you rent one. Yeah, and what Kenny's talking about is renting a downhill bike is very synonymous with paying for a hotel room. <laughs> exactly. But, all right, that's kind of all for the new shit. Uh, we did have... I have one thing I want to touch on. Okay. Uh, I want to, uh, I, I want to really commend, uh, I think his name is Henry, Henry Quinney from Pink Bike. Uh, they, or he did a review of the reverse or yeah, the BMB reverse raised stem and. Oh yeah. People, have, a bunch of people, we've talked about this once and a bunch of people have sent it to us since then. Um, yeah, he's just very, very diplomatic in saying it rode terribly. <laughs> so yeah um kenny when are you gonna get a reverse rise stem you've been saying that that's the wave of the way of the future maybe not that extreme but i just think that's where the geo is going like i'm 100 percent not wrong i'm super confident in that just like we're gonna see shorter cranks it's just gonna happen but just like your thing with shorter cranks don't you think the bike is gonna have to be designed around it oh 100 yeah you don't just slap it on there i think he's trying to i like where they're going with that stem thinking outside the box a little bit but it's very obvious that that's too far in one direction because unfortunately bicycles these days you still have to go both up and down on them. That's the problem. And you also have to do things like there are certain suspension designs you probably won't see because you also have to pedal your bicycle, right? So these are the compromises we have to make in the bicycle world. It has to be durable. It has to be reasonably light. You have to be able to climb with it, descend with it, and pedal with it, and not pedal with it. Those are those are the parameters that we live by. See, that's... So one thing I've brought up in the past, though, with e-bikes becoming so popular and more and more people getting e-bikes, I feel like we're going to start seeing suspension designs that you really only use on e-bikes because you have the motor to make up for the fact that they don't pedal well, but they're way better at going downhill. Sure. I think that's a reasonable assumption. And I wonder if that's going to be the first place that you would really see something like this that's a little out of the ordinary because, yeah, maybe it doesn't climb very well, but if it's really great downhill and you have some extra watts coming from a motor to help you get up the climb, is it going to matter that it doesn't climb as well? Um, well, one thing you said that was really hard with it is you have no grip with your front wheel Yeah, and it's really yeah. hard to climb on. So imagine a situation where you're going faster and you can't wait a flat corner uh i think that's going to be problematic yeah yeah i think you're right but i wasn't necessarily trying to bring up a huge thing about this but like really the i i feel like reading this there was a um yeah it how did it differ? Did you watch the Burn Peak one? I'm not saying that the Burn Peak nope. guy, whatever his name, is some kind of end-all be-all, but he seems to be 
obviously he's in the business these days. He doesn't really make riding videos anymore. He's in the business of let's try this kooky thing. Let's try this product, all that kind of stuff. It seems like his feedback and his rider skill is to the level where I would trust the guy. And most of his conclusions seem to be pretty reasonable. So I just wonder how kind of clickbaity his video was versus reality. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But it seemed reasonable. He basically said, this thing is, if you just like kind of close your eyes for a second, it de- it descends amazingly well, but it straight up doesn't climb. That's basically what the conclusion that he came to. So I haven't, and uh, what did this guy say? Uh, just to break it down, extreme height makes maneuvers easy. Stable on fast open terrain might make a more comfortable setup for some. Those were pros. Cons were fatigued to climb with, feels unbalanced. Hard to find consistent front tire grip. But it's really nice. They put in this little blurb at the end and basically said what we're saying where they... Yeah, pretty much what he says is, and I'll throw it into my terms, like, because I don't know what this dude likes, but pretty much he said, I would love to try this if I could have a bike that still had a 550 reach, which is what my total reach is now, bike or frame plus stem. I want a 550 reach with my handlebars in this position. Got it. Yeah. He, he basically says and 500 he, millimeters he hopes saves. that the guy gets with a custom frame manufacturer to have a bike built for this like an ecosystem yeah yeah but yeah um there is one new thing if we're finished with the stem yep. uh one new thing that is sad uh but is a good PSA for a lot of our listeners um, who might be getting a little bit up in age I don't want to say this guy's name because I'm going to absolutely butcher it niles amalinks <laughs> sure uh niels niels he died from uh bowel cancer and he had stage four bowel cancer uh the person who kind of wrote this obituary for him and kind of giving a warning to people said that he had stage three bowel cancer uh, this person who's writing this had it not Niels, uh, and said that he found it during a colonoscopy. He had a colonoscopy as soon as he turned 50, and it saved his life. So just get a colonoscopy. He says, get it when you turn 30. So, you know, uh, it's just, I'm over 30. I should probably get one. should probably get a lot of things checked out, but I don't like doctors. But the thought of having any sort of cancer is very scary. So, you know, just a just a shout out to all of our listeners out there who are a little older. Get all of your checkups done. Get all those screenings. Could save your life. All right. We want to move on into some listener content. Yep. All right. We had, well, our only forum, uh, web forum contact was Jake's advice. And I do have to say, Jake is a very nice guy. If you're going to give people on the internet advice... Either A, you should be very good friends with them and have really their best interest in mind, not just like pushing what you think is right, more like saying what you think is best for them. Uh, Or B, just be like the absolute baller expert in whatever you're giving advice on and seeing that that person is doing it totally wrong. Jake is awesome. He and his wife let us live in their house for, was it a month? Nearly, yep. Yeah, about a month when we would have otherwise been homeless. So that was nice. And yeah, he made this suggestion. He said, hey, if someone new is searching for bike podcasts and they click on JRA show and they start listening to the show and we're talking about, I don't know, hunting and bread and motorcycles and doing shed stuff, um, they're probably just going to go and say, this isn't bike stuff. And they'll click off within, you know, five minutes. So start with the bike stuff, get them wrapped up, and then move on to the weird shit. You mean get them hooked in? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Although you, you could Jake, argue we probably got them hooked in with not just bland bike stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, look, if you're listening to this and you're waiting for the weird shit, just buckle up. It's coming. I mean, we could do the weird shit in the middle and then go to listener content. No. <laughs> No, it's fine. We'll try. We'll try this format for a minute, and we can get out. I wrote it down in as dumb as I am today. I wrote it down in order, and if we break this order, I'm just gonna have to go to bed. I can just like draw a circle around your notes and put an arrow. So we've done listener questions (laughs) now because we didn't have any. Well, we have some on Slack. So uh, if you join our Patreon, you can also join our Slack channel and talk to the people there and ask us questions there. Hey, I'm gonna throw something out real quick that came from Slack. Uh, There will be a link to it in the show notes. 
one of our listeners has a NICA team in, let's see, they are, how do I figure out where these people are? You can tell because he has, he probably listed a state. I don't see the state. Maybe a, maybe a city. Don't see one of those either. A city is going to be in a state. <laughs> We could we could reverse it out if we're given a city. It's in Florida somewhere. Where'd you see that? Uh, on the banner. Oh, the... see, it's it's in a picture. It's not even in the text. <laughs> so there's a Nike team in Florida. One of our patrons and listeners, they have a GoFundMe set up to raise uh, money for their team. And uh, yeah, like they, he said they had some some uh, kids that wanted to ride that couldn't pay to register. So. Yeah, so here I'm going to get on my soapbox and uh, remind everyone that maybe doesn't know or has forgotten. Um, there was a really cool family that started a BMX track in my town. Later they moved and my parents ran that BMX track. And if it wasn't for me having that available and racing bikes, I wouldn't have the career that I have in bikes today. I wouldn't be who I am today. And uh, while I have no desire to have my own children, I do have a desire to help other children enjoy bicycles. So um, if it's within your means to help support this, I do think that that would be something that is very worthwhile. Um, I did speak with Dan uh, briefly, just like chatting back and forth in our patron Slack. And um, they do have some people that could use some non-monetary donations as well. So um, didn't talk about this with Andrea before we started, but I think we we are sending them some money. Um, And we're going to also put together some stuff. one of the kids, uh, I asked if anyone on the team was about my size, and I'm going to send some clothing, both cycling and not cycling. Um, hopefully, that'll be helpful to them. And I'm going to send them some American currency, and we're going to send them some like JRA bottles because you bastards decided to quit buying them. <laughs> <laughs> We've had them on sale since like the beginning of December. It's a bad time to buy water bottles. Yeah, it Everybody is. just loves drinking mildew. It's fine. Well, we're going to send them some bottles. I'm going to send them. I have a lot of uh, a lot of old kits that are not super used. I've done a pretty good job in the last, I don't know, five years of like spreading out use through my cycling clothing. So I'm going to send them some stuff uh, as well. And yeah, we're, we're going to. We're going to send him a care package. So what do you think? I think this opens up a topic that's a pretty interesting one. I think we've touched on it in the past, but it's essentially the accessibility of mountain biking because whether we like it or not, it's a little bit of a bougie kind of country club thing when you get down to it, right? Mm -hmm. The equipment gets very expensive very fast. Can you do it on cheaper Mm -hmm. stuff? Like, yeah, totally. You know, Sam Pilgrim shows us that, but also... His level of talent and craziness is way above everybody else's. So the average person's not going to like actually go rip Whistler on a Walmart bike because they would die. So we have this sport that is pretty bougie and pretty expensive. For example, you need to live in an area that has trails, preferably nice trails, so it's actually enjoyable. Not everybody has that because of geography or lots of other reasons, right? Bikes are not necessarily cheap in you know the grand scheme of things. Way more expensive than what you need for like an average baseball setup, right? Or lots of other things mm-hmm. you can do. So it's pretty expensive. You are probably going to have to travel to do it. You are probably going to need like a car with a car rack on it. There's just a lot of things. Uh, the riding gear is not super cheap from, you know, nice bib shorts to helmet and gloves and nutrition. There's just a lot of stuff. And I think it adds up pretty quickly. So whether we like it or not. And I don't know where I'm going with this other well, than hold on. it's it's an expensive thing. I think a great way to think about it, Kenny, is like, let's think about football real quick. Just just humor me. Sure. Yep. What do you need for football? You need a helmet? You need special shirt? Well, the, the pad pants. the pad setup, a lot of places, for what it's... I'm not trying to like go against where you're going, because I think I know where you're going with this. But doing like a football, if you want to get your kid into football, it's not cheap either. You, you have to go buy pads and helmet and all kinds of stuff a lot of that stuff surprisingly is not supplied by the school you have to actually have like your own stuff that's yours for probably lots of reasons safety reasons so your helmet's like molded to you and all the things right but there's like a dues to be on the football team a lot of times i'm not saying at all schools and all programs but the ones i've heard of um i know this was the way in memphis at ecs you went to dowdle sports dowdle sports was kind of the go-to and they had like the list of things that were approved and you would like go to them and get everything, right? 
so anyway, continue with what you're saying. But you need special head thing. You need special shirt, special pants, special shoes. Mm -hmm. Well, you need all that stuff for bike racing. And then you need a whole fucking bike, you know? Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. And you can also argue with football. You you don't need a stadium necessarily, right? But you do need a pretty – that's a fairly large place that you need. So obviously football has plenty of specialized things. But it's just definitely not quite as easy to pull off with right. not very much money. So mountain biking you, is just, it's kind of exclusive and kind of expensive. And I, I don't know where, right. again, I don't know where I'm going with it. I think that can be okay. It's just something that we have to keep in mind that not everybody can just on a whim. It's just so easy. I think about the average Nike kids here in Utah. And yes, they usually are on pretty nice bikes. But the kind of bare minimum of just me knowing what you need to have like a good time you like yeah do you need a full suspension bike no but in utah kind of maybe the courses aren't super gnarly for nika which is a whole nother topic but you need we'll call it a two thousand dollar bike you're gonna need a five hundred dollar rack you're gonna need all this other stuff so all of a sudden like this can become very easily a three or four thousand dollar thing that's no joke yeah i think really it's it is it's expensive and i i think that it's i mean it's that's why we're talking about this GoFundMe here because, you know, like it's good to get kids into this sort of thing and help the ones that are not financially able to in hopes that at the minimum, they're just making friends and getting out and exercising and being in the outdoors in a healthy way. And hopefully they can keep doing it. But if they can't, then, you know, once they graduate and they don't have, you know, some financial backing and that kind of thing, hopefully they at least have an appreciation for getting out and being active. Uh, You know, so that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, you know, the kids that don't have the money for it once they graduate, it's, I mean, it's sad, but they probably can't keep doing it. But I think that's the same for a lot of sports. Yeah, but I would, yeah, but. We've talked about this before a bunch when it comes to football. I don't mean to keep coming back to football, but it's a very established thing in the United States, obviously. You don't see a whole lot of, you don't see a whole lot of, sorry, uh, American football. Yeah, the should, shitty not rugby football. Yeah, we should come up not with a different the fun soccer one. Should come up American with a different name. American football. American football. I think people can get the gist of what we're saying when we say football. But anyway, we've talked about this definitely a bunch on the show where football is not something you see a whole lot of adults do later on in life. Some people do. There's flag football leagues and that kind of stuff, but it's definitely just not doesn't feel as common and it's not something that people are usually going to do to like stay in shape. If that makes sense, not saying it's not going to get you in shape somewhat, but you're probably going to bust your butt and do all the workout stuff you're supposed to do in like high school, for example. But outside of that, let's say you're, you know, now you're 35 years old and you've got your church league or business league or whatever, and maybe you're playing flag football, you're probably not going to be like working out, right? You're going to be outside doing stuff that's better than not, but you're just going to like show up and do it, right? Whereas mountain biking, you're probably more likely to put in the time because you kind of have to as far as like the fitness side of it. So anyway, mountain biking is something, as we talked about, you can do a lot easier to do long term when you're an adult. And it's something you can continue to do. Whereas football is unfortunately in a lot of other organized sports are a lot harder to pull off as an adult for lots of reasons. Yeah, um, for the, sure. the huge contact portion of football being one of them if you're going to play regular, normal, not flag football. Right. So... All right, well, we'll put a link to this GoFundMe in the show notes. And uh, for the, I don't know, more of you should read the show notes. I stress out over making decent show notes. And uh, <laughs> oh my God. I've got a whole nother thing. You ready to go down a rabbit hole? No, no, I need to talk on that first. Put your fucking seatbelts on. One time I an- edited the show. I mean, I've done it more than once. But one time I edited the show and Andrew's like, did you not take any notes? And I was like, <laughs> No. Like, how am I supposed to and, write show notes? And she was like, well, what, what, what about the show notes? And I was like, move, like the <laughs> IT guy on SNL. And I just like fired some stuff off. And she's like, yeah, but what about, I need to find all the companies we talked about. And I like fired some more stuff off. And she's like, my God. Yeah. I can't, like, I, I edit the show and then post it, uh, like upload it to our podcast server host thing, whatever it is, immediately. And if I didn't write notes as I was editing, I would have no idea what to put in the note in the show notes 
that you see when you open up this podcast. So, yeah. Uh, and one time I said, send me your, if you are reading this show note, send me your name and address to this email and I will send you, I think I said stickers. I had two people email me with just their names with no address. And I said in the show notes, send me your name and address. <laughs> people are bad at things. All right, Kenny, <laughs> so, Kenny you go. Are you ready? Uh, yeah. You ready for the rabbit hole? Yeah, what's the rabbit hole? All right. This one is I'm not happy with the direction of the internet. And it has I think to do that's a lot of people. It has to do with show notes. Is it rule thirty four? <laughs> has to do with show notes. We're going away from the internet used to have a really cool kind of self made editorial process where people would publish things, right? They would have there we had forums. People would take really like a lot of time and make write-ups with pictures and descriptions. And I think people took a lot of pride with that. And it kind of lived on forever. Well, <laughs> until the site went down or something. But it would live on on the internet. And it could be viewed by everybody. So all your hard work was super easily searchable and findable and all the things. And it comes down to searching is the big one for me. When you have to find something now, everything pulls up a goddamn YouTube video. Which, for some things, it's great. But for so many other things, it's not. And I feel like we're losing... I feel like the internet is getting dumber and the search results are getting worse. And that bums me out. And I come from the era of forums. A big part of my life was building a forum. And it's a bummer to see that stuff go away. So I'm worried about the long-term right, Grandpa, use. let's and get the, you back to bed. I know. I'm worried about the long-term searchability and usability of the internet because everything is this like consume consumable thing and you throw it away and that's it and you move on to the next thing. And I Wait, feel like- you don't journal about every TikTok you watch during the day? Uh, yeah. So that's the problem is I think we're we're losing the encyclopedia portion of the internet and that makes me a little bit sad. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. But I, I have found some pretty good information on forums somewhat recently. <laughs> we can talk about bread making for a second. I was looking at different types of yeast for bread making. And I, I did, I found a forum post from like 2008 where someone had tested two different types. But see, and that's because that's what we did in the early, mid, even late 2000s. Everything was forum driven and you could go find all that stuff. I used to love getting on like ADV Rider, for example, and it still exists, of course, but people would do their write-ups of their trip as it was going and they would like add to it. And it was super cool to watch it build and follow them and do all that kind of stuff. And you could always reference it back later and, you know, see pictures and all that kind of stuff. So well, there's still, I mean, as far as bike stuff, like I know mountain bike review is still out there. I'm assuming road bike review is still there. The weight weenies forum is strong. Yeah. So, I mean, there's still some stuff out there, but yeah, I mean, it's not as, I'm sure it's not as popular. I, I don't really, I tried for a while to post more on mountain bike review to see if it would get a little bit more, I guess, uh, momentum for JRA. Just having that link in, you know, making some somewhat intelligent, informative posts on people's questions and then just seeing if that would direct any traffic towards us and it didn't really do anything but it could be because of what kenny's talking about you know fewer people are going to the internet to forums and things for information and they want to see like some i don't know 20 year old kid talking about installing their access wrong in a five minute video all right so do we have any other listener questions yeah we've got uh Someone, Chris, asks, what recommendations do you have for bottle cages for a gravel bike? I'm looking for something in the sweet spot of bottle won't rattle loose over a crack, but I won't crash trying to reinsert the bottle back into the cage. And I will say, along with a lot of other people, uh, the specialized Z cage, it has a tiny bit of a learning curve for getting the bottle back in, but after a ride or two, it's totally, you're you're going to love it. and. I was using the Arundel. Gosh, Matt, do you remember which Arundel cage I was using? I had that carbon like side load one. I think it was just called the Arundel side load, right? Yeah, I had the one of the lighter ones and it worked great in Memphis. I never lost a bottle. I went to Breck for the Breck Epic stage race and was just fucking losing bottles every stage. And Matt put his side load, his... uh specialized z cages on my bike and they never came off 
I just wouldn't give them back to him. So those are my recommendations. Jake did say that he's had a couple cracked. I've actually never had a cracked Z-Cage, I don't think. Matt, have you ever cracked a Z-Cage? No, sorry. I was making something to drink. I was capitalizing upon the fact that Andrea was going to be talking for a moment and got up to get uh, a little little spot of Gatorade because I'm thirsty. Um, You had Arundel mandible cages. Okay. And... Yeah, when Andrea says those bottles, those cages didn't come off, well, they didn't come off. She didn't drop bottles, and I didn't get my cages back. Like, I went home, because I went to visit her in Breck Epic, and I went back to Wheat Ridge, and I was like, I need to buy some more of these cages. And they're like, you just bought those, like, two weeks ago. I was like, (laughs) yeah, Andrea needed them. And he's like, sounds like Andrea needs to buy some cages. And I was like, nah, I just need to buy these. (laughs) Yeah. I think that side load cages just hold a bottle better just based on physics, possibly. Like, I think the way that bottles get ejected is straight out the top. And I think a side load cage resists that type. Because if you've ever tried to pull a bottle straight up out of a side load cage of any sort, it's way harder than For out what of a it's normal worth, cage. A Z cage holds the freaking range extender battery on my bike. <laughs> For what it's worth, when I first started with Rebel, I made a terrible mistake, which is uh, I left on that trip with bottles that didn't fit in my bike. I didn't know this yet, um, but I had a side loader cage, I had a 26 ounce Purist bottle, and it wouldn't go all the way in the bike. And I was like, well, shit, I guess I need to buy some bottles at like a shop I visit. But I stopped at a friend's house first uh, in Cedar City or Washington, Utah, and I went and rode all the stuff Kenny and I talk about, like, uh, what would that be? Zen Trail, we rode Church Rocks, we rode Gooseberry, and uh, guess what? My bottle was not fully inserted in, and it still didn't drop. Yeah. And people would be like, hey, man, your bottle's coming out. And I'm like, ah, it doesn't fit right. They're like, you're going <laughs> to drop your bottle? And I'm like, mm, haven't yet. Like, I'm eight miles into this lumpy-ass trail. Like, it hasn't came out yet. I think we're fine. Yeah. And there were some other suggestions. The specialized rib cage. I've never actually used that. It's good. Uh, the the tie other... king cages. I mean, yeah. If you that's just, just like... a regular bottle cage that's titanium i just don't understand how that would be good yeah wolf tooth makes the morse cage i've used the the wolf tooth cages on the fat bike which is not exactly a bumpy application so i can't say yes or no to those i could i could do a little testing and put one on my full suspension and uh, see if i eject any bottles out of it and rage quit it when you have to learn how to take your bottle in and out differently yeah that's true uh for what it's worth those arundel mandible cages that andrea uh she was nice enough to give me her cages that drop bottles Uh, (laughs) i've been running those on the gravel bike for a long time and i had no problems but i don't have a gravel bike anymore so if you need some more arundels let me know i've got a couple carbon ones sitting in the basement nah i'm good so if you're out there in listener land and you want to buy Kenny's cages and know what Kenny's house smells like, <laughs> um, there you go. Okay, and then we had one other question about single speed cranks and rings from Ramo. He says, considering putting a GX Eagle dub crank on my new single speed, not a type T, not a T type ring or crank. Anyone want to give experiences with different chains on the 12 speed SRAM ring? My current chain is a 9-speed Shimano older SLX crank, 11-speed narrow wide, and an ancient surly cog. Works fine, but the crank creaks and is a 175, and I want to move to 170. Thinking I will install the new Wheels XD cog kit, break out one of the four PC1 chains I have, and then use a nearly new GX with the stock ring. Concerned the chain will not play perfect with the 12-speed chain ring. I also got extra new SRAM 12-speed chains. Yeah. I mean, I'd go ahead and put the SRAM chain on there. Just a, well, the a PC1 speed. is yeah, a SRAM chain. Yeah, a 12-speed chain. So is it a, it's an X1 chain or the PC1? He says PC1 specifically. Okay, that's like an 8th-inch BMX chain. I wouldn't run that personally on anything that's no, narrow-wide. The, the PC1 is an 8. It's just 332nd plane. Uh, um... I mean, I don't want to be mean and say that you're wrong, but um, you're wrong. Let's see. PC1 chain. It is for one-eighth single-speed specific cogs. Do not use on drivetrains designed for use with multi-speed 332nds chains. That is so wild. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. I saw you commented on there that it should work. I was thinking that's if that meshes, it's going to be really fucking noisy. 
It's going to be roll. It's just floppy, like side to side. Yeah, it, it. We're moving in. I mean, I was wrong. Thanks for being a dick, but telling me I was wrong <laughs> while being a dick. Kenny. Um, I said also, it in such a nice and caring way. But your tone and inflection was loaded with sarcasm and such a fucking, I'm going to tell you so. Yeah, you picked up on that, did you? I did. Okay. Um, I said I was feeling less smart. I didn't say I was feeling (laughs) totally brain dead. Um, So, but we're moving in the wrong direction for true, like, this shit just won't work. I think the issue, so the issue we used to run into back in the olden days the 11 speed chains and even 10 speed if i remember right so 10 11 those old school surly cogs they wouldn't mesh with those properly you could definitely mesh them with a modern ring up front obviously it's going to work fine but it was the single speed cogs that were issues because they were made for the eight and nine speed 330 seconds chains but he's going to put the new wheels xd cog kit on there that one one... surely maybe i don't actually know that one should work with a normal chain, I believe. Yes, it will. Yeah, so he's not going to be using that Surly Cog. Okay, cool. I think then, yeah, just put an 11 or 12-speed chain on there. It'll be fine. Or use your old 9-speed chain, whatever. And my answer was just go ahead and run a Eagle chain. Yeah, if you have not? an Eagle chain, just put that on there, and all your quick links will match, and it's just easier. And then also the other point that I made there in the old patron slack was if you have eagle chains on everything then all your quick links work on everything. I put an eagle chain on a 7 or 8 speed setup the other day. It was on I think an E fat bike and there was some reason why oh yeah, the chain line on the bike was terrible and he had some we'll call it a Shimano 8 speed or some maybe a KMC or something. We'll call it a KMC. He had that on there. Something happened. He messed up a link or something happened. A couple things. One is super duper long chain on that. So you have to run two chains, which is a bummer. Two chains. Two chains. And the issue was we did a two chain setup with a Shimano and it was getting caught because the chain line was so bad into the smallest cog, the hardest gear in the back that it was coming off of the front chain ring and getting stuck between like the chain ring and the little guide thing that was on there kind of the kid style sandwich plates that were on there mm, this is a quality machine yes so no matter what we did it would do that we had no idea why so we just threw an eagle chain on there and it was the correct length because it's super long out of the box and uh it didn't throw off the front ring anymore and it's shifted awesome on the back 12 speed on a seven speed jesus christ i'm sorry troy <laughs> <laughs> Well, SRAM has no recommendation for that. They don't care about seven-speed stuff. I mean, an 851 chain would be the right solution. Maybe, but seeing as the Shimano one wasn't working, I was assuming that one wouldn't work either. I was assuming it was like it was a chamfer. Could be. I thought it was like a (laughs) chamfer situation because a single-speed, a one-by specific chain probably will be less likely to come off of a front ring, correct? I would think. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Sounds like it. It worked great. All right, are we, uh, Matt's posting on Reddit? As the JRA podcast. Okay. Uh, We do have one more listener comment, if we're finished with single speeds, from Tom. Uh, Tom was going back to when we were talking about uh, things that existed before they were bought by larger companies. Uh Salsa. Salsa for sure existed before QBP bought the brand name. One of the early builder and designers was Ross Schaefer. He was an innovator innovator for sure and a badass athlete. Gillis has one of his bikes pre-QBP. Gillis being Sean Gillis from Absolute Bikes. He says, I don't really like the Radivist because hipsters, but this is a decent rundown. And he gives us a link and he says, and yes, for the last time, those old bikes are junk. Compared to today's tech, they are laughable. But fuck you, we had some good times on those old bitches. Front derailers and floppy chains and all. Yep. Old bikes, pretty much all of them, were incredibly terrible, but it doesn't mean that we didn't have fun on them. Exactly. Um, We're going to talk about what we've been doing now? Yeah, let's do that. You want to go? Sure. I haven't ridden my bike, but I did get a new bike part. I'll talk about that last. Um, Let's see. What did I do? Worked on the shed a bunch. Then I went over to Troy's and worked on his Land Rover. And then I came home and worked a couple of days. And then I went back to Troy's and worked on his Land Rover some more. And he had like the whole, what was going on? You can get into a little bit of what was wrong with his Land so Rover. So he needed to do some, oh God, I'm not going to. The 30,000 foot flyover. You had the head off. Yep, we took the head off. So I uh, got new rods, new lifters, 
new uh, uh, gaskets for the head, new like plenum gasket, relocated so that's the coil a, pack. that's a pushrod engine? Yeah, pushrod engine. And it had a little lifter tick and uh, new pistons or new pushrods and new lifters solved the problem totally. Um, we changed the, or yeah, so what else did we do to that thing? What are those um, things? V6s, V8s, inlines? What uh, are they? 40 V8. All right. M- made by Bosch. Whoa. And uh, I feel like we did a bunch of other little things. Yeah, we did. Installed a solar panel on the hood, uh, replaced the cowl over the windshield, uh, replaced the wiper. No, didn't replace the wiper arms. We're doing that to my truck. Um, did a bunch of organization in the storage unit. Maybe I talked about some of this before or since we recorded last, because I have no concept of time anymore. We're in that weird space between Christmas and New Year's, and I have no fucking clue what's going Confused on Confused and full of cheese. Yep. Um, I did talk about some of this already. That's right. Um, and to make it about bikes, uh, one of Troy's co-workers and buddies came over and helped work on the truck with us. So by like the one degree of separation, I have worked with tools with the guy that used to be Greg Menard's mechanic. Ain't that some shit. Ain't that some shit. Um, And then I came home, and it was a terrible drive home from the Springs. Like, just everything uh, worked out. You drove through, the like, a pretty bad snowstorm. I drove through a gnarly snowstorm. Um, I was driving down 115, and there's a lot of, like, it should be a separated four lane, but there's a lot of uh, two-way traffic, you know, because they're doing construction in the winter, of course. Um, Heaven forbid you start in the spring. I mean, it was started back in the spring. Heaven forbid they work faster. And I'm like, man, there's like no cars coming towards me. Like none. And there should be a lot. And I look in the rear view and I'm like, man, there's like no cars behind me either. And I'm in my Nissan Frontier and I'm cruising along at like the speed limit's like 45 in the construction zone and like 40 felt fine, but I didn't. Sounds like you weren't on the road anymore. Perhaps no. Um, <laughs> I, I was, was driving. I was driving around. There's no. <laughs> there's no cars. There's no road signs. Nothing. I'm driving into the storm, and then I realize there's a string of like 50 cars coming towards me, and I was like, "Why is that person driving so slow?" And I'm like, "But they were still pretty far off, you know, probably like half mile." And I was like, "Huh?" And I like did the old in the snow brake test, and I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> So I like cruise along, and as soon as all that traffic passes, still there's no cars behind me, and there's like the next person that's being super cautious that's made a big break in traffic, and I was like, shit, 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 this truck has manual locking hubs, and my hubs aren't locked in, and I was like, shit, shit, shit. So I just jammed on the brakes and like slid to a stop and pulled over between the cones and rip out of the truck, lock both hubs in and jump in before like any cars were coming. And uh, for those of you that don't know much about four wheel drive vehicles, uh, if you have a really underpowered, worn out four cylinder truck, you probably can't make it spin in the snow in four wheel drive. Um, And I could. Um, And when I went to like leave, I was like, oh, shit. And you have a trailer also. No, I didn't have the trailer. I thought you had the trailer to buy. Oh, no, you just stuffed that shit in the back. I stuck a bunch of, I had a bunch of uh, siding in the back of my truck. I had 11 sheets of T11 or T111, whatever it's called, if you're curious. Um, And I'm like, holy shit, this is gnarly. So uh, a drive that would normally take about two hours took me three and a half hours. I have a Gerald story similar to that. Uh, so Gerald's my dad. Okay. And he's uh he's as stubborn as a mule, and that's where Andrea gets it from. <laughs> I've I learned my stubbornness from him. Uh he was on a I don't know where he had been, a business trip or something. And it was when my parents lived, I think in Indiana. They lived someplace where it could actually snow. My dad on the way home gets on the highway, and this is probably the late 70s they don't have like now if a highway is closed there's fucking gates there right there's things that are like road closed turn your shit around go back you can't drive here they didn't have that shit then this road was closed the highway was closed because of a snowstorm and gerald just drives just plows his fucking vehicle right through it and goes home didn't he have like an old bronco i think I remember you telling me this story I before. I don't remember what vehicle he was in. I've, I've heard this like secondhand through my mom. But yeah, he just drove home through a snowstorm, like using his truck like a snowplow without a plow. So that's that's just Gerald for you. Um, yeah. And then I got something in the mail today or in the mail this week that's going to make Kenny very upset. <laughs> what is it? A roll off tensioner. 
Ooh, man. I don't know why that would make me too upset. What are you trying to do with it? I'm going to make my epic single speed, and you're going to tell me it won't work. Yeah, we've been down that road a bunch. I mean, there's one way you can make it work, and it's with a, a multi-speed cog that you put a single one on there. That'll work. Or I could run the exact setup that another person with an epic Evo that rides a lot of single speed that's a listener runs and probably be fine. Mm, maybe. We'll see. Told you Kenny would be mad. <laughs> Kenny, a little off topic. How's that? Uh, do you, do you, have you broken out your E-Fat bike yet? I am getting ready to. It's not... We're not quite there yet on the snowfall side of things, but it should be ready to go. Sweet. Yep. It'll be fun. I'll get a whole season on it this year, which is cool. I kind of built it halfway through the season last year, if I remember right. So I'll give people more info on that once I break it out. I do have the option to put some slightly smaller tires on it. It would make it lighter weight, but it's just not really a problem. And the stuff I Unless ride through- you blow your back out, putting it in the ridgy. It's, <laughs> it's not super groomed. Some of it is, but a lot of it is not. And if you're on anything less than a five-inch tire, it's a super bad time. But also at the same time, this stuff is so deep that even a five-inch tire, if you go to the wrong places, you'll just sink 10 feet. (laughs) So I don't really know. I'm not sure what the strategy is. I'll probably leave it alone. The only thing I noticed that I might want on that bike is suspension. I think having a full suspension fat bike would actually be cool. I never thought I would say that. But the trails that I ride, they're basically just regular single track trails, and they get really yeah, bumpy. Yeah, you're not riding like really a steep. groomed trail at all. No, this is not groomed stuff. And it you will get jackhammered on that thing. It's gnarly. It's user-packed at best. Yes, it's definitely that user-packed. That is it. Most of the stuff I ride, the trail is only about a foot wide. And if you put a tire off, you die. (laughs) I've been on groomed trail like that before. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fun because you're going faster. You're like on a nice, smooth, groomed surface. And then all of a sudden your tire goes off into like three feet of snow. And you disappear. Like your entire bike and body disappears beneath Mm -hmm. the surface of the snow. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. Uh, Who's who's up, Matt? Are you, you done with your stuff? Yeah, I think so. Kenny, you go. All right. On Thursday, we did a night moto ride. So that was fun. I got to break out all the bike lights and I put another auxiliary light on the front of the moto. And it was kind of a little bit warmer out than it's been, but it was still definitely in the 30s. But it hasn't been snowing or raining. So the conditions were pretty decent. And everybody in my moto riding group just decided that we wanted to go on a Thursday night to go ride. So that's what we did. Met up at 9 p.m. and we didn't get done until midnight kind of cool so three hour ride with a lot of just hanging out everybody crashed a bunch it was pretty pretty good time the night riding aspect of it was kind of went better than i thought to be honest the visibility everything was pretty good and you could we rode all the kind of normal trails that we rode we rode in kind of a new area i ended up accidentally taking the group up the side of the mountain up a drainage and we (laughs) rode over giant boulders for 1500 feet vert it was pretty cool. Was and it then, actually a trail? Eh, loosely, I'll use that term. It was a trail, and then it turned into a old creek, river, uh, waterfall. I don't know. It got gnarly. We went as far as we could until people were getting really bummed. <laughs> and then we went back down again, so that was kind of fun. And what else did we do? I crashed my balls off on a rock like crux step up thing it's probably i don't know probably a 10 foot vert section and it's just really steep and off camber and it's already like up a mountain and it's very loose and you can't really square up for it very good and it's a you have to kind of thread the needle in the beginning of it and you have to commit with a huge amount of speed because you can't just power up this thing so it's just like this big dyno move you got to do at the bottom and i went to go do that dyno move and i had the speed but i clipped a peg on that entry rock and the motorcycle stopped and it was a super not fun experience just all that energy going through your spine and even that i still made it over the rock uh using the peg as a wheel essentially and made it about halfway up and then the bike flipped over backwards and uh smashed on the ground and tweaked the tweaked the forks and bars and all kinds of stuff but overall it took it pretty good and and then on the way out uh we got kind of away from the truck in a weird spot and we started bushwhacking through a field (laughs) and it was dark out obviously and i knew that i was probably going to hit a ditch like a really big ditch at some point because i know that they're hidden in this field because it's not a dead flat field 
It's definitely got a little bit of angle to it. And there's some weird erosion stuff in that field. And sure enough, I found one of those. Luckily, I wasn't going like 30. I was probably only going 10 or 15. And Did uh, you just disappear? I Well, I uh, full-size moto, and I endoed it. Oh, my it, God. Yeah, full-on endo on a 200-pound motorcycle with a gajillion foot wheelbase and 63 degree head tube angle. I'm glad I didn't break myself off. So I've got bad shoulders. And if I take really big impacts, like even trying to hang on to the bars, that weird, when your body, if you're kind of holding, if you're holding low, if you know what I mean, if you're holding low and you're trying to do like this ultra low, almost awkward push up, if that makes sense, it'll blow, it'll blow my shoulder out. Essentially it, um, uh, I've got a ligament that it's got some name, but a ligament pops over in a place where it's not supposed to be. And, uh, and your arm, it's the tendon that connects to your bicep and my arm will go dead straight. And it's, a uh, goes to immediate 10 out of 10 pain. And you have to like reef your arm back into position, super bad time. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Somehow I, I think it was, there was zero chance of holding on. And so I just exploded over the front of the motorcycle and I, uh, yeah. Did you scorp? <laughs> I, I kind of scorped. I really, I don't even know how everything ended up the way it did, but the motorcycle was like upside down and I was on the ground is really all I remember. And I just kind of laid there for a second, like, oh, okay, that was, and it's just, I was not expecting it at all. And I was paying quite a bit of attention, but it turns out it was just camouflaged perfectly. We've got a lot of tumbleweeds in Utah and the stuff that tumbleweeds are made of come from these fields essentially and it was kind of gr- <laughs> like stuff that tumbleweeds are made of yeah <laughs> you talk about it like there's fucking gnomes out there weaving together tumbleweeds out of plants they find in a field <laughs> pretty much <laughs> pretty much <laughs> but in this spot all the tumbleweedy stuff kind of made a floor but it's a false floor and yeah yeah it turn- I've, I've fallen into those before hiking yeah uh, it turns out that it was three feet deep yeah and uh <laughs> And enough to swallow a motorcycle. So anyway, that was fun. <laughs> but I survived. And what else? I went to California for Christmas oh, wait, to go. Can What's I tell that? a funny tumbleweave story? Yes, you can. So went to Old Pueblo. Sean, my former boss, broke himself off. We're trying to get home. And he's has like been released from the hospital with like a minor brain bleed, a bunch of broken ribs, and a cracked pelvis. And I'm piloting this uh, GMC Yukon down the interstate in Arizona at like 80 miles an hour in a windstorm. I mean, it, it, it wasn't like dangerous, but there's just tumbleweave. So it was like playing the game of Frogger with tumbleweave. So like sometimes you'd see some coming and like I'd, I had cruise off because he's like broke off. So I'm trying to not use the brakes or anything. Um, and I'm like playing this game where I'm like, okay, I'll let off a little bit, gas a little bit, let off a little bit. And this one that's no joke, it's like the diameter of your normal... I'm trying to think of the term for it, like your regular ass, like rolly bin trash can, right? It's like that big. And the stock on it is huge. And it's just like tumbling. And I let off and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to just barely miss this one. But the stock hit on the ground and it bounced straight up. And I just plowed it at like 70 miles an hour. <laughs> and Sean opens his eyes and like I'm letting off. And he, it just he's like. On, he's on pain medication. Yeah. And it's just stuck to the grill. And then it just falls off and goes out of the way. And he opens his eyes and watches that happen. And he goes, huh, hitchhiker. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all he said. Oh, man. If you're wondering, Kenny, the tumbleweed is a plant called a Russian thistle. I had to look it up. I knew we have them in our, like, they grow in our yard. And basically, once they grow and then die, they are designed to, like, if you try to pull them out of the ground, they break off at the ground and they just turn it, then it's tumbleweed and it, it rolls around and drops its seeds so that more of them get to plant themselves and spread. Yep. And they also make uh, false floors. Yeah. I remember I was deer hunting last year and I was crossing this thing and I thought it was, I don't know, like six inches deep. And when I stepped on the tumbleweeds, I went down to my waist. (laughs) So it was eight inches deep. Shut up. (laughs) Oh, man. Short leg joke. So yeah, I went to California, hung out with family, dropped off my brother's new Levo, and we played around with it. I borrowed his um, 
his old Levo and we did a quick ride. The trails out there in California, at least on like what I'm going to call the front range, they're gnarly. They're basically hiking trails. They don't have a lot of great like newly built and maintained mountain bike trails and they have big mudslides all the time and crazy weather and fires and just all kinds of things that happen in California. So it's hard to, they just don't have the trails that we do. But anyway, rode that essentially hiking trail. It was probably 2,500 feet vert up to the top in some very short distance. So it's pretty steep. Basically e-bike mandatory. You would have to be an actually insane person to ride an analog bike up that. It would be the worst time ever. It was a pretty horrible time on an e-bike. And we rode a portion of a trail called the Tunnel Trail, which is really famous because a bunch of old school mountain bikers used to go rip down that on like 26 inch rigid bikes, which is insane because there were sections that I walked like it was it's full rowdy and maybe it's eroded since then. In fact, I'm fairly certain that it has. But yes, very, very gnarly trail Um, had a medium time (laughs) overall, but I didn't eat shit at all, which is great. It also taught me how used to my Kinevo SL geometry I am because this bike felt twitchy and felt like it was going to endo me. So I've just gotten used to my super slack bike and now I kind of enjoy it now that I go back to other stuff. What else? And then I had a terrible drive on the way home, unfortunately, because it was ridiculous amount of traffic and California is an insane place with tons of people. And there's not very many roads that go out of California, unfortunately. (laughs) So it was supposed to be a 10-hour drive, and it ended up being 18. Holy shit. So I was in the, I just, I pretty much just got home. Uh, Oh my God. Super, super insane. So I didn't sleep a ton last night because I got in at, uh, I left at, there was a time change in there. And I left at roughly like 10 or 11 a.m. in California and uh, pulled in at roughly like maybe 5 a.m. or something like that here. It was not a great time. Did you work today? I did. Oh, neat. Oh, yeah. So I'm a little I'm a little tired, but that's pretty much that's pretty much uh, everything I've done in a nutshell. All right. I'll go. Hold on, Matt's. I'll do patrons after I finish my. Yeah, I just wanted you to have them. Oh, you have them pulled up on a different. Yeah. Chrome tab or page group, whatever. Yep. Uh, So I have, just like every other week, I've been uh, working on the shed with Matt. I've done a little bit of CrossFit and I've been chasing mountain lions. And when I say chasing, I uh, have had an extraordinarily close encounter with one. I followed an old track. Well, I found a very old track, passed it up because it was too hard to follow. This is in the snow. Went up a little higher in this drainage, found a newer track, and I thought, well, I can follow this one, and hopefully it'll take me to where it's killed something or kind of has a, you know, a home base that it's coming back to. And sure enough, there is on top of this ridgeline, as far as I know, it hadn't killed anything, but it was coming up to the top of this big open area and hunting deer. And it had multiple tracks of different ages that I found up there. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. I mean, it's a good find, but it's getting a little late in the day. I'm going to go ahead and go back to the truck and, you know, fingers crossed it's going to snow a little bit more. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have a chance to come back up here and actually, like, see if I can find it. And I start to head down this ridge and I'm going to drop back down into the little valley I'd come out of. And I stop to check my map on my phone. And as I'm kind of sticking my phone back in my pocket, I hear from, I don't want to exaggerate. I think it was actually closer. I'm going to say 20 feet away from me. Something crashed out of the bushes. Like, you've got to be fucking shitting me because it sounded like something. It was the cat scoot. And I mean, that noise that a cat makes when it runs off, when you hear it run off, like the first step or two, and then you don't hear it. Like a deer When a deer runs away, you hear the deer running away, like the whole time. This was just like the crash. And I'm like, you got to be shitting me. And I go around the corner of this bush and sure enough, there are lion tracks headed straight out. And I don't know if this mountain lion had been following me. I don't know if it had been, uh, if I just, you know, like came up on it and surprised it because they're so good at just being quiet and being hidden and... If you start doing a little research, you'll find they do this thing called escorting, where they're not necessarily hunting you or stalking you, but they just follow you to make sure that you leave their area. And then they just 
you know, you leave their area and they just leave you alone. And it's possible it was doing that, but I chased it. I tried to tree it and it ran straight downhill and I could hear it for a minute ahead of me, like in the bushes, because it was going through all of the thickest like gamble oak stands that it could find and then it started doing like these zigzags and it started to circle so last year I had a similar encounter where I just followed a track until I was so close that like it was weird like this track started going very erratically and it was changing directions and it like made a a circle and it kind of threw me off but this time I knew it was going to do that and I just I chased it for over an hour I mean, it was probably close to an hour and a half, and it finally went over uh, into, like, up the next ridge, up the south-facing slope, and there was no snow. So I couldn't keep following it. And, yeah, I just, uh, I didn't get it. But, god damn, that was exciting. And it was like, I was yelling at it because I was scared shitless. I mean, it's not like I'm doing this because I've, I think I'm, like, better than a mountain lion or something, like... I, you know, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? You're chasing a mountain lion. You better yell at it so it keeps running from you and doesn't figure out that you're the size of the things that it normally eats. So, yeah, I was yelling at it. The first thing I said when I realized... You don't have AR-15s. Exactly, yeah. I have a very loud noisemaker that I can use. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it. Uh, the first thing when I, when I realized it was a lion and it was running away from me, I started to run after it and I yelled, you'd better run, motherfucker. <laughs> And then I yelled lots of other stuff at it, and yeah, it was it was exciting, and I was absolutely exhausted because um, I just kind of was busting through. Gosh, there's not gamble oak in the south, and I don't know what parts of the country, other parts of the country, it grows in, but it's just like the thickest, gnarly. Like they don't get that big normally. Matt's about to Google it. Oh yeah, so it, it looks like Colorado, Utah, a little bit of New Mexico. It's a very rocky mountain type of thing that grows on here between 6,000 and 9,000 feet in elevation. Generally dominates the region between the lower pinion juniper zone and the aspen or ponderosa pine zone above. Yeah, and it it's just like a, it's a small oak and it grows in these really dense stands and I just had to like plow through that shit like a fucking elephant. Yeah, there's just like cuts on her nose and her chest or like her like collarbone and neck and stuff where she just got gouged by shit. She's insane. Yeah, but it was fun. I mean, that's really, uh, that's that's what I'm here for. I like doing that kind of shit, but that was the most exciting part of my week. Do you want to do the most annoying thing with patrons I've always wanted to do? I don't know. What? You say one, I say one. No, no, I don't want to do that at all. Do you want to read these or do you want me to? Go for it. All right, so our patrons. If you join our Patreon at $10 a month or more, we read your name on the show. And we read whatever the fuck name you sign up as. So you can sign up as whatever you want. And now we'll give you some examples. (laughs) So starting out at $10 a month, we've got Zozo, Zach, Yabba-Dabba-Doo, Will. Wait, I forgot the safe word. Tom, Todd, Ty, Tennessee Zach, Taperbore Pro, Smells Like Sweat and Fear, Sam, Ryan, Raylo from the Block, Parker, Noah, Nick, My Pal Dal, MTV Shenanigans, Lloyd, Leland, Kenny Sucks, Ken, Josh, Josh, Jeff, JC, Jara Dix, Jake D, I'm Mr. Body Catcha, Slaughter Gang, Soul Snatcher, Green Giant, Gordon. Wait, that was the wrong tempo. I don't I don't know the song though. I Mr. Body Catcha, Slaughter Gang, Soul Snatcher. Oh, okay. Sorry. Where was I? Gordon, G-Man, Frank the Tank, F That Guy Mark, Ezra, Evan, Eric, Dan, Cam, Irish One, Billy Single Speed, Bill, Bo, Barry McCockiner, Baggins, Alec, AJ, Aaron, Esker Cycles at eleven sixty nine a month, Lead Out Sports and Josh from the Intesa at fourteen Australian, Dean at sixteen fifty Australian, and at twenty dollars a month we've got Scott, Pooprinch, Joe, Brady, Anthony, thirty dollars a month we have Harley, thirty one, Troy, and six pack outdoors at fifty. That's it. Shut her down. Kenny needs to go to bed. Yeah, Kenny's tired. <laughs> Night. Later. Thanks for tuning in to the Just Riding Along Show. There's some shit coming out of here. <laughs>